and we are live for episode two of the podcast. Thanks for tuning in and joining us today. This is Michael and uh, Jason. This is Jason. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> we are hanging out today. We're excited to kind of recap where we were this last week and build on that. And we have some, uh, I'm excited for today's conversation. This is going to be this is going to be fun, but yeah. no, if you, if you caught our last, uh, our last episode, we really zeroed in on how we are a living epistle for the Lord. You know, that people get to see the Lord through our actions of faith and those actions that we take a step-by-step -step in faith really and do inspire hope and really shine and allow the Lord to work through our lives and in our lives. And Sometimes looking back, sometimes these steps of faith can really be like a whole season as it plays out, you know, in, in Jason and my story as, uh, as we shared a few stories there. But no, we want to thank you for, for jumping in. We're excited for today and we're really going to zero in today on waste. Yeah. So I'm excited. I'll hand it off to you, Jay. Yeah. So on the last episode, we kind of talked about how, you know, you may be hearing these stories and hopefully just being blessed by them. And, and maybe you're just feeling like the Lord hasn't been really writing a lot on that book. He hasn't been writing very many chapters in your book and tell in your story. And um, Michael and I both have had seasons like that where, you know, you go from just this mountaintop experience of just seeing the Lord working in you and through you and it's, it's just such a cool feeling and um my daughter uh recently told me that she was blowing the minds of her uh cousins and i said you know well, what what were you teaching them and she's like <laughs> revelation about <laughs> jesus coming back and saving us and i'm like no way and she's like yeah and That's she said awesome. it was it was the best feeling. That's what she said. And and I totally can relate. I remember some of the best feelings I ever experienced was just this ministry that uh, the Lord used me in, which was being a, a Marine Corps lay leader, if you will. Um, unofficially, I wasn't officially the lay leader to my platoon, but God definitely used me in that role. And I can relate, like there's just no better feeling than when the Lord's using you and <clears throat> you might be in a season where you don't feel like the Lord is using you in the way you want. And, and Michael and I have certainly had those experiences and, and you know, we'll share those. But today we're going to talk about this idea of waste, you know, feeling like, has my life been a waste, you know? certain decisions that I made, um, you know, what was it for? You know, God took me through this experience and it's hard to look at it and not think that it's a waste, a waste of time, waste of money, waste of resources. And so today we're just going to talk about that principle of waste. And today we're, we're really going to be um, highlighting Watchman Nee's book, The Normal Christian Life. I just thought It'd be the perfect book to talk about because times are anything but normal. And I thought it'd be so, so fun true. to hear a Christian brother talking about what the normal Christian life looks like. And I'm just going to start by 
reading the the text from the Bible that is used to outline this principle of waste by Watchman Nee. But the the passage I'm going to read from is Mark 14, verses 3 through 9. And this is going to be in the, the King James Version. And being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious. And she brake the box and poured it on his head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, Why was this waste of ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. And Jesus said, Let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. For ye have the poor with you always, and whensoever ye will, ye may do them good, but me ye have not always. She hath done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to burying. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. Mm, that's cool. Any initial thoughts? Yeah, I mean, that was something that I had never really considered before. Going through that passage and having read that passage and you hear messages about that passage and one-liners shared and and maybe you've heard podcasts or teachings or read books, but really it's like all of those things kind of get lumped together. And uh, while they're all good, it's kind of interesting to see that Christ in that moment just pauses what's happening and basically says, hey, wherever the gospel is being shared, this is going to be linked with that. It's not just a, a, a side note. It's yeah. not just a, hey, you know, I'm just going to throw this out there real quick. It's not just a minor detail. And I think that's what uh, really caught my attention hearing that is this is significant, very significant. And uh, when you feel that Christ has made something significant, you really owe it to yourself to dive in and go deeper and, uh, you know, discover the scriptures a little bit more. So, yeah. Yeah. So what we'll do is we'll be reading some excerpts out of the normal Christian life by Watchman Nee. And so here we go. Here's to the book. No doubt every penny mattered to them. Yet one of those sisters, Mary, having among her treasures an alabaster cruise containing 300 pence worth of ointment, expended the whole thing on the Lord. Human reasoning said this was really too much. It was giving the Lord more than his due. That is why Jesus took the lead and the other disciples supported him and voicing a general complaint that Mary's action was a wasteful one. What is waste? This is where Watchman Nee in the book defines what waste is. He says, what is waste? 
Waste means, among other things, giving more than is necessary. If a shilling will do and you give a pound, it is a waste. If two grams will do and you give a kilogram, it is a waste. If three dills will suffice to finish a task well enough and you lavish five days or a week on it, it is a waste. Waste means that you give something too much for something too little. If something is receiving more than he is considered to be worth, then that is waste. But remember, we are dealing here with something which the Lord said was to go out with the gospel, wherever that gospel should be carried. Why? Because he intends that the preaching of the gospel should issue something along with the very lines of the action of Mary here. Namely, that people should come to him and waste themselves on him. This is the result that he is seeking. We must look at this question of wasting on the Lord from two angles, that of Judas, John 12, 4 through 6, and that of the other disciples, Matthew 26, 8 through 9. So basically, Watchman Nee is going to say that um, Judas kind of represents the world because he, he never called Jesus Lord. He's the only disciple to never call him Lord. And then the other disciples are going to represent other Christians, you know, what other Christians may say. And, and I know we look at this and we may think like, oh, of course Jesus was worth it because we're, we're looking back on what he did. Yeah. But you have to, to put yourself in a position to try to see this with fresh eyes, see this with, you know, whatever that practical, you know, way would look in your life, you know, something that, that you're witnessing or something that you're seeing in your own life. Let's try to look at it with fresh eyes. Yeah, totally. And I mean, in that moment, I mean, imagine being in that moment where this is something that has saved. It's not something that is <laughs> utilized. It's a valuable thing. And oftentimes, you know, valuable, uh, gosh, I just like, I would love to dive into a little bit more of a study on that. <laughs> on which but aspect? Just on, on the alabaster box, you know, just on the cultural of saving that spikenard, of, of the value that meant to the woman um, and that cultural emphasis there. Like it was such a pivotal point. And I know I've heard so many different teachings on that topic alone, but it's just so, it's just unique just to sit back and look at it. I love what Watchmen kind of pointed out there to say, hey, there's these two perspectives, you know, that perspective of the world that says, you know, like, you know, that was complete waste. And then the perspective, the perspective of Christians. And I know that concept of feeling like you're wasting time, like I'm familiar with that. Yeah, that that is something <laughs> that, well, you know, I, I'm I'm familiar. You know, last episode, I'll dive in. I'll make a little detour here, Jason. Uh, you know, last episode, I shared a little bit about this story of you know uh, going with John down to Mexico and being one of the guys who got to uh, really dive in over four months. We dove into the scriptures and uh, really went through and looked at the church and what God was doing and really put our hearts on the line to say, Lord, what would you have us do? You know, and one of those uh, throughout the course of this, you know, 
uh, God really moved in this group. It was very cool to see as God would uh, place something very specific on the hearts of these different guys who were down there. And watching now, and 15 years later, as some of these men have gone on and really led some really cool ministries and watched the Lord use them in, in these super dynamic ways where they're influencing not just hundreds, but thousands of people. And uh, they're seeing the gospel spread, not just through local communities, but internationally through missions and radio broadcast and television broadcast. And I mean, just so many cool things that started in the Carmen Serdan Valley, you know, in, in Mexico, in a one room little schoolhouse, <laughs> you know, it, and just to think through that. And then I think of my story and, you know, leaving there and coming back up to the Spokane, Coeur d'Alene area and finding myself laboring and toiling with ministry for, for a few years. And, and then, you know, we're starting and beginning a career. And then now 15 years later, here I sit in a career wishing, man, that would have been cool if the Lord had used, um, what a wasted opportunity. We had the same opportunity to sit down and, and to, uh, you know, to go and do these things the same, the same time together. We have these great relationships. And now here I am 20 years later. And when we were talking or 15 years later, when Jason and I were talking about putting this podcast together, you know, it was funny because, you know, he was, he was planning a little bit about the podcast and this message. And here I am on the other end of the phone, just kind of like pouring out my heart, talking about my struggle with it. How, who am I, you know, that I should even comment on these things and, and share my story when there are so many others who have been used and so many more scholars and so many more who are more educated than I. And I'm, I'm sure you may feel that same way. You know, and it was funny as I sit there and, you know, I threw out this line and I just, man, I told Jason, it feels like such a waste, you know? So Jason, <laughs> do you want to pick up like what was going through your head as I said that? Yeah. Um, so I was uh, just preparing this episode called Waste and just kind of meditating and chewing on this scripture and thinking through Watchman Nee's words and, um, you know, I just was so excited about this principle of waste and giving, laying down everything we have at the feet of Jesus and, and um, just how that principle is so important to the Lord. It's, it's, and I said in the last episode, this might be one of the, the biggest lessons we could learn, but it's just such a high calling to just bring yourself at the feet of Jesus um, when no, no doubt there's temptation to look at other people, other ministries, other Christians and compare ourselves with them. Yeah. And I heard one person say, you know, on Facebook, you're looking at everybody's highlight reel. You're not seeing the behind the scenes, you're seeing their highlight reel. So you're comparing your behind the scenes to their highlight reel and you know, sometimes I think we could look at our behind the scenes and think, what a waste, you know, we're not doing what we should be doing or something like that. Yeah. And I suggest to you that, you know, the Lord may be teaching you this principle 
And so anyway, when Mike made that comment, I was just like, wow, this is perfect. <laughs> he just ended the conversation with, with the word waste, no joke. And you guys remember how we were talking about the Lord just, he wants to put his fingerprints all over everything you're doing so that you could know you're, you're on track, you're doing what he wants you to do. And, and so when Michael said that, I just, I knew that we were on the right track. This is what God wants us to talk about. And so obviously Watchman Nee has some great stories about uh, this very thing we're talking about. And it's, it's pretty good because this first story I'm going to read from his book is when he has this encounter of running into an old professor. And so here's Watchman Nee's words of, bumping into this teacher. Great. In 1929, I returned from Shanghai to my hometown of Fuchao. One day I was walking along the street with a stick, very weak and in broken health. And I met one of my old college professors. He took me into a tea shop where we sat down. He looked at me from head to foot and from foot to head. And he said, now look here. During your college days, we thought a good deal of you, and we had hopes that you would achieve something great. Do you mean to tell me that this is what you are? Hmm. Looking at me with penetrating eyes, he asked that very pointed question. Hmm. I must confess, on hearing it, my first desire was to break down and weep. My career, my health, everything had gone. And here was my old professor who taught me law in the school, asking me, are you still in this condition with no success, no progress, nothing to show? But the very next moment, and I have to admit that in all my life, it was the first time I really knew what it meant to have the spirit of glory resting upon me. The thought of being able to pour out my life for the Lord flooded my soul with glory. Nothing short of the spirit of glory was on me then. I could look up and without reservation say, Lord, I praise thee. This is the best thing possible. It is the right course that I have chosen. To my professor, it seemed a total waste to serve the Lord. But that is what the gospel is for, to bring each one of us to a true estimate of his worth. Judas felt it a waste. We could manage better with the money by using it in some other way. There are plenty of poor people. Why not rather give it for charity? Do some social service for their uplift. Help the poor in some practical way. Why pour it out at the feet of Jesus? See John 12, 4-6. That is always the way the world reasons. Can you not find better employment for your life? Can you not do something better with yourself than this? It is going a bit too far to give yourself altogether to the Lord. But if the Lord is worthy then how can it be waste? If he is worthy to be so served, he is worthy for me to be his prisoner. He is worthy for me just to live for him. He is worthy what the world says about this not, excuse me, what the world says about this not matter. The Lord says, do not trouble her. So let us not be troubled. Men may say what they like, but we can stand on this ground that the Lord said it is a good work. Every true work 
is not done on the poor. Every true work is done to me. When once our eyes have been opened to the real worth of our Lord Jesus, nothing is too good for him. Wow. Yeah, what a moment. A, <laughs> there's a lot there. <laughs> there's a lot to unpack. <laughs> yeah. I just putting myself in the shoes of uh, Watchman Nee in that scenario. I mean, <laughs> what, what an interesting uh, dilemma mentally, yeah. Yeah. right? Yeah. Like looking back, you know, and we've had many conversations and we talk about uh, Paul gives us several things not to be ignorant of and spiritual warfare is definitely one of those things. And, you know, it's easy to sit back and be like, man, that was obviously spiritual warfare right like we recognize we recognize things were happening behind the scenes spiritually in that moment but then at the same time it's like looking at that like in that time frame it's like what would have been the response like can you imagine what was going through his head in that moment and that process of you know glorifying god in that moment like it just uh man yeah. i don't know there's there's a lot there that just yeah. uh gets me yeah I, th- I think uh, we have a, a tendency to judge our lives on what we've done, what we've accomplished. Totally. And really what, what Watchman Nee is talking about is what's been done for him. That's yeah. the more important thing. When Mary was breaking that box before the feet of Jesus, it literally says she was... Well, Jesus literally said she was anointing his body beforehand. She understood what the Lord was about to do. He had been saying it over and over that he was going to die for the sins of the people. And on the third day, he was going to be risen again. And here's Mary, probably one of the few people that actually understood what was going on, that her Lord was going to die for her. And so bringing everything that she could at his feet ahead of time was just, it's so worth it. Like he's worth it. There's, hmm. you know, and you know, the your old professor is your friends, your whoever, you know, they may not understand. Other Christians may say yeah. even that, you know, what are you doing? Just living for God. And the cool thing is like, Watchman Nee is gonna go into a story of a friend that, you know, he used to think like, why isn't she doing more? She's such a good Christian. She knows so much about the word. Why is she just in this little village, you know, where nobody knows who she is? And, and um, you know, the Lord's going to open up his eyes to, to exactly why he has her there ministering to Watchman Nee and his friends. But, uh, and yeah, it's interesting. Like I think of, you know, I just think of the little things that we do, like the times that we have to like honor the Lord and just those, even those little moments, you know, where maybe it's a, you know, a song in the car, a prayer, you know, maybe it's, um, you know, just, just time alone where it's like, you're, you're honoring him, you know, you're doing it for the glory of God. And it's not about, uh, it's not about you. And you're able to put your eyes and literally shift your eyes to him. And it's about honoring the Lord. I remember um, this, uh, just another, a random story. 
uh, there was one of our, our brothers down in Mexico. He shared a story about his, a friend of his who was really, really great, who was an aspiring artist, really mm-hmm. good, drawing stuff out. And, and uh, he would work on a piece. And many pieces he would hand out and give away and draw for others. But there were a few pieces that he would literally keep for himself. And, and he would map it out and he'd work on it for hours, right? Um, obviously skilled and map out some of his best work. And, and uh, he would, by his admission, would tell you that the best, best work he's ever put out. And he would, you know, take it out and he would begin and he would rip it into little tiny shreds and he would just honor the Lord with that, with each tear. And it's like, Lord, this was yours. This was for only your eyes. Like I did this just to honor you. This was our, my time of prayer. You know, it was his time of prayer and worship and honor before the Lord to take his skill and say, no one's going to see this. This is my best work. You know, this one's for you. Yeah. And it's just like, how cool is that? You know, just to take those moments those things that we do and just turn it back to the Lord and say, man, this is, this is for you. Whereas so many people could easily see it as a waste, mm-hmm. you know, or you can measure it as a waste yourself, comparing yourself against all sorts of other people. But I mean, yeah. just what a yeah. cool thing, yeah. you know, to think about, we have that opportunity. We have the opportunity to honor the Lord. And many times we just may look at it like, oh man, I don't have time to dive into the word that much today, or I don't have time to do that. I don't have the 30 minutes I don't have, but what about that two seconds just to bring honor, just to glorify him, just to say thank you, just to bring praise to his name. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, sometimes I, I don't think we have a grasp of that the Lord did his best work on the cross. Yeah. And it's good. You know, I just think like the more we realize exactly what he did for us, I think, you know, we're going to bring all that we have at his feet to a greater degree. I think ministry and serving others and all those things will come about, but I think it's a natural outflow of coming to his feet and realizing how great he is and what he did for us. And so that's kind of one of my prayers is that just by talking through this story, we'll have a better understanding of what, what Christ did for us. Um, but next, uh, back to the book, Watchman Nee is going to talk about um, a friend that he thought wasn't doing much uh, for the Lord. And this kind of relates to the disciples and, and, uh, what they were saying. So now we're, we're going from Judas representing the world to Christ, uh, the disciples representing other Christians. And so here, here's the story told by Watchman Nee. All right. I've spoken already of a sister whom I knew for a long time and who I think is the one by whom I have helped been I have been helped the most. She was used of the Lord in a very real way during those years when I associated with her, though to some of us at the time it was not so apparent. The one concern in my heart was this she is not used. Constantly I said to myself, why does she not get 
out and take some meetings, go somewhere, do something. It is a waste for her to be living in that small village with nothing happening. Sometimes when I went to see her, I almost shouted at her. I said, no one knows the Lord as you do. You know the book in a most living way. I like Mm. that phrase. Yeah, that's cool. Back to the book. Do you not see the need around? Why don't you do something? It is a waste of time, a waste of energy, a waste of money, a waste of everything just sitting here and doing nothing. But no, brethren, that is not the first thing with the Lord. He wants you and me to be used, certainly. God forbid that I should preach inactivity or seek to justify a complacent attitude to the world's needs. As Jesus himself says here, the gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world. But the question is one of emphasis. Looking back today, I realize how greatly the Lord was, in fact, using that dear sister to speak to a number of us who, as young men, were at the time in his training school for the very work of the gospel. I cannot thank God enough for her and for her influence and her and for the influence of her life upon me. What then is the secret? Clearly it is this, that in approving Mary's action at Bethany, the Lord Jesus was laying down one thing as a basis of all service, that you pour out all you have, your very self unto him. And if that should be all he allows you to do, that is enough. It is not First of all, a question of whether the poor have been helped or not, that will follow. But the first question is, has the Lord been satisfied? Hmm. There is a many a meeting we might address, many a convention at which we might minister, many a gospel campaign in which we might have a share. It is not that we are unable to do it. We could labor and be used to the full. But the Lord is not so concerned about our ceaseless occupation and work for Him. That is not His first object. The service of the Lord is not to be measured by tangible results. No, my friends, the Lord's first concern is with our position at His feet and our anointing of His head. Whatever we have as an alabaster box, the most precious thing, the thing dearest in the world to us, Yes, let me say it, the outflow from us, a life that is produced by the very cross itself. We give that all up to the Lord. To some, even of those who should understand, it seems a waste, but that is what he seeks above all. Often enough, the giving to him will be tireless service, but he reserves to himself the right to suspend the service for a time in order to discover to us whether it is that or himself that holds us up. (laughs) Man. Yeah, and that's, I mean, wow. Some goodness. (laughs) Yeah, I like, you know, just that end where it's like, you know, a life that is produced by the very cross itself. We give all that up to you, Lord. And then he says, uh, often enough, the, you know, he will 
suspend service for a time in order to discover us, whether it is that or himself that holds us up. It's like, what, you know, what is your walk based on? You know, what keeps you going? What keeps you up? Is it the work or is it him? Yeah. And I think a lot of times the Lord will cease work. You know, he'll be writing those chapters in your book and he'll suddenly cease the work to really show you if it's him or the work that's propping you up, that's keeping you going. And we all have to ask ourselves, is it the Lord or is it the people at the church? Is it, is it the social club? You know, what, what really is, you know, holding us up? Yeah. And we've talked about that in several conversations, just how easy it is to study the word and to teach the word for the people that are around us, the people who need the Lord in their lives. And at the same time, you know, like often neglecting what the Lord is sharing to us, you know, what the Lord is moving in our heart and drawing us closer to him. And uh, it, it, it is, it can be such a chore when you have given your life to ministry and you find yourself, you know, really, um, really distracted from where your focus ought to be. It really ought to be on the Lord. Yeah. And it's so, it's such a hard balance, you know? Yeah. I mean, I've gone through full seasons of life where it's like, man, I just can't believe that I let myself get so absorbed into ministry and not necessarily absorbed into him yeah. and who he is. Dude, I know. You know, it's like you, you can go so long and then you read something like this and, and, you know, you spend time with the Lord and it's like, man, just it's liberating. It's free. Yeah. You know, just to sit there and be like, I'm okay to take this time. It's not about having a word it's about getting to know the word yeah you know and it's just i don't know and and the interesting thing is uh as you spend time with the lord it's like you just you want to go and tell people about him you want to go and find ways to love on people because it's just a, a natural result of spending time with him it's not you know looking at it from a you know uh, logistical or an operation or uh, a campaign or something yeah. where it's like, all right, I'm, I'm targeting to do good. You know, this is what we're going to do. Uh, you know, it's like you just start spending time with the Lord and you just um, naturally want to do these things. And I was um, kind of just telling some people that, um, you know, in the book of Galatians and Ephesians and Colossians, uh, Philippians, how um, every time Paul gets done talking about the gospel and grace and what we have, he always ends it with these Christian ethics, you know, uh, and he has an address to husbands and an address to uh, wives and an address to parents and children and you know these ethics aren't 
they're not new laws. It's not, you know, thou shalt do these things, you know, it's, but they're, they're Christian ethics. They're things that, man, when you just spend time with the Lord, you're not going to want to provoke your children to wrath as Paul tells the parents, don't provoke them to wrath. And it's like, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, husbands, don't be bitter towards your wives, but lay down your lives for them. And it's like, man, you spend time with them. And it's like, that's the easiest thing in the world to do is to love on my wife and lay my life down for her. Um, And so anyway, this is Watchman Nee talking about that principle, but he says, God's ways with us are all designed to establish in us this other principle, namely that our work for him springs out of our ministering to him. Mm. Um, and I, I kind of just wrote down that verse in Acts 13 too, uh, and I'll read it to you, but it says, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And so here's Paul and Barnabas and some of the early Christians just, just ministering to the Lord, serving the Lord, just worshiping the Lord. And then the Holy Ghost says, Separate me, these two guys, for this work. It's just such a beautiful picture of how work happens. You know, it's, you're just, you're focused on the Lord. You're worshiping the Lord with other believers and God's going to whisper to your heart, you know, something to, to go do, but it's never go do this first. It's always, you know, as Watchman Nee says, it's, it's always springs out of our ministering to him. Yeah. And I, it's interesting too, right? Like, I feel like we live in a world that's opposite of the kingdom of God, right? It's just in, it's in contrast. It's an upside down kingdom, you know? So I feel like so often as a church, as a ministry, as a, you know, a business, it's like you, you rally people around a cause and that's how you get people to dive in deeper, to commit, you know, to, to go with you along in this journey, to see the work through. And it's like, you know, it's just, it's counter that. It really is when it comes down to Christianity. It's not about making sure that the, you know, it's not about the full, like the vision and the laying it out and build it and they will come. You know, it's, it's different. It's like, it's when you find yourself lost in the Lord and you're, you're finding your people like, falling in love with the Lord and grounding their walk and discovering how God has gifted them. And, uh, and they begin to see the fruit of the spirit develop in their lives, you know, that love and joy and peace. And they begin to experience God work. Then all of a sudden ministry just comes out of that. You know, it's not necessarily because we have a, a now a clearly defined cause, you know, it's, it's the fact that, that they know the Lord, they love the Lord, and and they get that sense of the Lord moving their heart. And uh, it just changes everything. It seems so, I don't know, I, I it just seems so countercultural just to encourage people, not necessarily to get involved in a program, but man, just spend time with the Lord. Like, it's not about the program. 
It really is about that time with the Lord and how they'll see the Lord begin to move their heart. And out of them following that leading, I mean, what joy, Mm -hmm. what joy comes out of knowing that, you know, the Lord is using that time and it's using you. Yeah. And I mean, that is just, that's incredible. I mean, you can, you can fake happiness and you can try to fake joy and, you know, all, all the rest, but what true joy comes out of knowing the Lord and seeing the Lord use you and the people that are around you. Yeah. Yeah. I remember recently I was watching a uh, podcast of a, a worship leader and a um, apologist and uh, the worship leader basically had, had lost his faith. And, you know, he talked about how being a Christian worship leader was his job. And so he did the things necessary to make that paycheck. Um, But the moment the work was gone, the minute that, you know, his job was over, you know, all of a sudden he's realizing that he doesn't believe in these things that, you know, was his job for so long. And it's like, I think that's another thing Watchman Nee says that, you know, why the Lord will cease the work is what's holding you up, you know, is it a job? You know, and I I know a lot of pastors get into it because they're, they're attracted to the job. It's not the person, it's not, they don't know much about Jesus. And that's not what's holding them up. It it literally is they're attracted to the job. Um, It could be a worship leader, they're attracted to the music and the, you know, having people worshiping at what they're doing, you know, not so much pointing toward Jesus. And, And I'm not saying that all people do that. I'm just saying that this is why, you know, the Lord may be ceasing the work is, you know, what's really prompting you up. Um, but yeah, it was just interesting. Um, that, you know, even Michael and I were kind of having those feelings of who are we, you know, how dare we try to do a podcast and talk about the Lord? We're not worthy. And I'm so grateful that Jesus said he'd, he'd use the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And, and we can definitely say we are the foolish, the foolish things that he was talking about. But uh, yeah, it was funny. You know, Michael was talking about a guy from his group and, um, you know, just, just comparing people that are in ministry that God has used to do really cool things. And uh, I had read this ep- excerpt right after um, Michael was talking about that. But going back to the book, this is Watchman Nee um, kind of using a story to talk about comparing ourselves to others. So here it is. Now I try to serve him. Sometimes it seems that the Lord hears me and sometimes he keeps me waiting for a definite answer. Sometimes he uses me, but sometimes it seems that he passes me by. Then, when this is so, I compare myself with that other fellow who is in a certain big system. He too had a bright future, but he has never given it up. 
he continues on and he serves the Lord. He sees souls saved and the Lord blesses his ministry. He is successful. I do not mean material, but spiritually. And sometimes I think he looks more like a Christian than I do. So happy, so satisfied. After all, what do I get out of this? He had a good time. I have all the bad time. He has never gone this way, and yet he is much that Christian Christians today regard as spiritual prosperity, while I have all sorts of complications coming to me. Hmm. What is the meaning of it all? Am I wasting my life? Have I really given too much? So there is your problem. You feel that you were, you excuse me, you feel that you were Sorry, guys. You feel that were you to follow in that other brother's steps, were you, shall we say, to consecrate yourself enough for the blessing, but not enough for the trouble, enough for the Lord to use to use you, but not enough for him to shut you up? All would be perfectly all right, but would it? You know quite well that it would not. Take your eyes off that other man. Look at the Lord and ask yourself again what it is that he values most highly. The principle of waste is the principle he would have govern us. Sorry for the bad reading on that, guys, but um, I just love that part where he's talking about, you know, so there is your problem. You feel that were you to follow in that other brother's steps, were you, shall we say, to consecrate yourself enough for the blessing, but not enough for the trouble, enough for the Lord to use, but not enough for him to shut you up. All would be perfectly all right, but would it? You know quite well that it would not. And what he's talking about is, you know, is it, is it enough? Is it, is it enough to be used one way but not another? Like, is it enough that, you know, that the Lord would use this principle of waste to govern us, that the more important thing would be, you know, laying down everything we have at His feet mm -hmm. and not necessarily in the results of our ministry. You know what I mean? Yeah. That that will come, but that's not the important thing here. Yeah, and it you know it just brings me back to you know the working of the body as a whole. You know, and Paul has a lot to say over you know believers being a part of a body that not all have the same functionality. You know, not all have that same purpose, and it's not necessarily that we're supposed to take our cues from everybody else that we're in you know that we're we're serving with that we're in ministry together it's not as if there is this magical way this magical formula it's about operating in unity and not unity around necessarily a cause but unity and around who he is around christ and um you know allowing the spirit of god to work in you and through you and in others and allowing God to receive the glory of it all. I just think that's an interesting um, 
you know, I thought it was interesting that ta- that ending line about uh, waste. You know, just I thought that was interesting being governed by this kind of this principle of of waste. Um, yeah, that's just something to it's just something to chew on. I feel like this is one of those messages that you really have to take and just chew on it. And uh, yeah, yeah, and this is uh, kind of the last excerpt that I have from the book um, but this this is the last chapter in Watchman Nee's book and, and I think you have to read the entire book where he talks about a life that's picking up it's you know the cross and following after Christ you know, it really dives deep into these principles in Romans of, you know, what the cross means. Um, and I know it's it's not something really taught or talked about nowadays. And I think as we see the message of the cross and and are bearing the cross, it com- it, it sheds light on this final chapter of just bringing everything we have to the feet of Jesus. Um, But back to the book, there was something represented by this pouring out of the ointment which Mary had to do beforehand, or she would have had no later opportunity. I believe that in that day we shall all love him as we never done now, but yet that it will be more blessed for those who have poured out their all upon the Lord today. When we see him face to face, I trust that we shall all break and pour out everything for him. But today, what are we doing today? Several days after Mary broke the alabaster box and poured out the ointment on Jesus' head, there were some women who went early in the morning to anoint the body of the Lord. Did they do it? Did they succeed in their purpose on the first day of the week? No. There was only one soul who succeeded in anointing the Lord, and it was Mary, Hmm. who anointed him beforehand. The others never did it, for he had risen. Now I suggest that, in just the same way, the manner of time may be supremely important to us also, and that for us to question above all questions is, what am I doing to the Lord today? Have our eyes been opened to see the preciousness of the one whom we are serving? Have we come to see that nothing less than the dearest, the costliest, the most precious is fit for him? Have we recognized that working for the poor, working for the benefit of the world, working for the souls of men and for the eternal good of the sinner, all these so necessary and valuable things are right only if they are in their place. In themselves as things apart, they are as nothing compared with the work that is done to the Lord. The Lord has to open our eyes to His worth. If there is in the world some precious art treasure, and I pay the high price asked for it, be it 1,000, 10,000, or even 50,000 pounds, dare anyone say it a waste? The idea of waste only comes into our Christianity when we underestimate the worth of our Lord. The whole question is, how precious is He to us now? 
If we do not think much of him, then of course to give him anything at all, however small, will seem to us a wicked waste. But when he is really precious to our souls, nothing will be too good, nothing too costly for him. Everything we have, our dearest, our most priceless treasure, we shall pour out upon him, and we shall not count it a shame to have done so. Of Mary, the Lord said, she hath done what she could. What does that mean? It means that she has given up her all. She had kept nothing in reserve for a future day. She had lavished on him all she had, and yet on the resurrection morning, she had no reason to regret her extravagance. And the Lord will not be satisfied with anything less from us than that we too should have done what we could. By this, remember, I do not mean the expenditure of our effort and our energy in trying to do something for him, for that is not the point here. What the Lord Jesus looks for us is a life laid at his feet, and that in view of his death and burial of a future day, his burial was already in view that day in the home of Bethany. Today is his crowning that is in view, when he shall acclaim glory as the Anointed One, the Christ of God. Yes, then we shall pour our all upon Him. But it is a precious thing indeed. It is a far more precious thing to Him that we should anoint Him now, not with any material oil, but with something costly, something from our hearts. That is merely external and superficial has no place here. It has already been dealt with by the cross. And we have given our consent to God's judgment upon it and learned to know and experience its cutting off. What God is demanding of us now is represented by that flask of alabaster, something mined from the depths, something turned and chased and wrought upon, something that, because it is truly of the Lord, we cherish as Mary cherished that flask. And we would not... We dare not break it. It comes now from the heart, from the very depth of our being. We come to the Lord with that, and we break it and pour it out and say, Lord, here it is. It's all yours because you are worthy, and the Lord has got what he desired. May he receive such an anointing from us today. Hmm. Wow. So good. That is good. <laughs> that is really good. I mean, you just, I don't know, there was just things going through my mind as far as like the anointing. And as soon as I heard that word, I was just like, so many things went back to Old Testament. <laughs> and that and that process of anointing priests and kings. And it's like, man, our actions, we get to anoint the Lord. That, that, that's, that's pretty stinking cool. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's Why don't you dive rad. into that? Oh, man. <laughs> I don't even know where to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Like, my, my thoughts are still forming, Jay, yeah, as, I, yeah. as I think through it. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because uh, Samuel the prophet was the one who anointed David. Yeah. You know, he, and, and I liked how you said, man, we get to anoint the king. You know, here's yeah. Samuel anointing the future king of Israel. 
And we get to do that same thing today. We get to anoint the king. Yeah. Like that's such a cool, that like I only, like that you pulled that, that out. That wasn't the only time though that yeah. David was anointed either. Yeah. You know, if you follow through scripture, he's also anointed by his men. And then he was also anointed as king. Yeah. You know, so he has these this multiple anointings uh, through David's life. And then you have the greater than David, you know, then you have Christ and the anointing. And it's just, I don't know. I don't know. All of a sudden my mind is like going back and forth and drawing connections on that side. But I mean, how cool is that, that we get to yeah. anoint the Lord? Yeah. I just yesterday was reading about the wise men from the East and I'm like, Man, here's these yeah. these guys from Mesopotamia that probably had very little information. I mean, they were probably set up at the time of Daniel. They probably had the Old Testament because yeah. Daniel was reading it in Babylon. He was reading Jeremiah the prophet to try to find out when the Babylonian captivity were, was going to end. But anyway, here's these guys like, you know, years later and they come right at the time that Jesus is going to be born. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm just, I'm blown away that with the little information they had reading in the old Testament, they saw this star and they knew to follow it. And they knew that this new King of the Jews was going to be born. And they, they go to Herod and they ask Herod, where's this king of the Jews? And you can imagine Herod being the king would be very disturbed that, you know, here's these guys from the east asking him where this king of the Jews is going to be born. And so Herod uh, brings the scribes together and says, you know, where are where is the, the Messiah going to be born? And the scribes, they know their Old Testament. They tell him Bethlehem. And I just find it very interesting. I, I actually did a, a Google Maps from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, and I learned that it was five and a half miles. Hmm. And I, in the Marine Corps, I used to have to run a three mile, uh, <laughs> and that took 20 minutes. So I'm oh. like, here's these, these guys know that the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. Here's the these men of the East telling him that the this Messiah is being born now and they don't even make the five and a half mile trip to go see the king and these wise men go and they lay gold and frankincense and myrrh at the feet of Jesus as he's being born. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know. I just think, man, there's enough in the word for us to be aware of these things, to be able to lay treasure at Jesus's feet, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's just, I don't know. It's a shocking thing that these scribes didn't even make the five mile journey to go see the Messiah, mm. like the new King being born. Like, but these, these guys from the East, these wise men, these, you know, they made the trip. Yeah. Not the not the guys you think would have, you know. But I don't know, you know, I just I think of that story to kind of give us uh some encouragement of just getting in the word and 
you know, studying these things. And if, if these wise men of the East could be aware of the times and what's going on uh, so that they could lay treasure at the, the feet of the new king, uh, we ought to be able to get in the word and find opportunities to lay treasure at his feet, you know? Yeah, that's good, Jay. Yeah, no, what a great, uh, I remember reading this for the first time and it, you know, you come back and you, when you read this concept of just like wasting yourself, it's, it's just, man, spend that time, you know, like what do you have to really lose? Yeah. And in the in the grand scheme of things and it's uh I don't know, it just uh it plays with that heartstring, it plays with the head as you're going through and like choosing to live your life. Like you get to choose today. You know, choose today what you're going to do and honoring the Lord and giving yourself to the Lord and making that uh uh you know, searching for that treasure. I don't yeah. know. It's just like we, we put off for so many reasons. Yeah. When really it's, man, we just need to waste a little bit more time searching the scriptures and talking to the Lord and honoring the Lord. Yeah. You know, like just waste yourself for him. That's, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I just, my prayer is that we'll just be the those wise men from the East, man, being aware of the the seasons and the times and it just gives me hope because I'm also like, who am I? Yeah. You know, who am I to to think that I can share with my brothers and sisters in Christ? I mean, who am I? And, and uh, you know, I look at those scribes that Herod called and, you know, they should have been the Bible guys of their days. Yeah. And, you know, they didn't make the five-mile journey, but here's some, some str- strangers. Here's some people for, that had no business knowing about the Jewish Messiah, you know, Gentiles, if you would, these non-Jewish uh, people. And they're the ones who come and lay treasure at the feet of Jesus. Like, you know, I don't know. It's just really cool. I hope it, it gives us some encouragement to know that, you know, again, <clears throat> God's going to use the foolish, man. You know, if, if if you're feeling foolish out there, I got good news for you. The Lord likes to use the the foolish of the world, and and uh, you got any any other thoughts you want to cover on? This no, idea? not at the moment. Wrap us up, man. Yeah. So, you know, I know you may be thinking like, "Oh, come on, Jason how how could the Lord be okay with us just?" sitting at his feet or when did the Lord ever say that that is the better part? That's the, the right thing to be doing. And I just want to end on this, this verse. Uh, and this is Luke 10, 38 through 42. Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus's feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, 
Lord, does thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. And this is just my exhortation to you today. There's going to be Martha's out there serving and ministering and doing all these things. And the Lord would say the good part, the good part, the part that shouldn't be taken away from her is this, that Mary sat at the feet of Jesus and heard his word. Hmm. So take time today, precious saint, to just sit at the feet of Jesus and hear his word. Dig into the gospels. Read what the Lord was doing, how he treated people. Just get amazed at, at what he did today and sit at his feet. And that is the one thing that is needful. That is the good part that won't be taken away from you today. Amen.